0: Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you and to study your word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we examine the these uh, psalms that we're going to look at today, and that you, our Spirit, will lead. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 117. Oh, praise the Lord, all you people, nations! Praise Him, all you people! For His merciful kindness is great toward us, and the trust of the Lord, the truth of the Lord, endures forever. Praise you, the Lord. That's the whole psalm. All right. We shouldn't, take, we shouldn't take more than about 15 minutes to get this one out of the way. So. All right. So up. Oh, praise the Lord, all you nations. Praise him, all you people. This first praise here is to give a boast, to give boast, to raise up, to, to shine forth a light. So praise the Lord, all you nations, to boast in God, to to make him great. And that, I love that, that definition of praise. To make him great. To lift him up in a way that just extols him. That makes him be the center of all attention. And, and it says, praise the Lord, all you nations. And this is literally Gentiles. It's the same word that he's translated Gentiles in most cases. So they're being told all the world, praise God. Make him, make him, lift him up high, praise him. The second praise here is to give laud, to commend, to give congratulations to God. Praise him, all you people. And this word for peoples is all tribes and people that are born of mothers. (laughs) When I was studying this, I'm going, okay, what people are not born of mothers? (laughs) He starts out, all you nations, Lift up, make God the center, and then give him laud and commend him, all you people. You know, This is a very interesting way of looking at just raising up God and making him the center of all that you do. And you know, I think about this a lot, is how many people do not make God the center of all of their life? Unfortunately, many of us as Christians don't make him the center of all of our life. And this is why when I talk to people and I listen to them and I'm going, okay, what are you talking about? Who is, what is the center of your conversations in the most of your time? And you know, do you talk about God frequently? Or is it all about sports and all about uh, you know, the latest TV show or whatever it might be, uh, your, your hobbies, your antiques, you know, your sports, whatever it might be, does God get much mention in your life? And certain people I know that God's going to get mentioned in their life. And we see that, you know, and it shows where your heart is. What is the treasure of your heart? What is the most important thing in your life? God and his word for me is one of my most important things. I love talking about God. And that's one of the things even my co-workers find out, you know, give me an opportunity. And we're going to talk about God because it's more fun to talk about him than anything else as far as I'm concerned especially when I don't watch the TV shows they're watching and I don't really watch the sports and all the other stuff, my life centers around God and his word. And this says, for his merciful kindness is great toward us. His merciful kindness. His, this word for mercy here is really talks about a mutual liability that others, uh, of those that belong together. God gives us his mercy because we are his, and he shows us mercy because we're his. If you're not his, he doesn't show mercy, or doesn't have to. He does show people mercy, but it's not he does, it's under no obligation to show mercy to anybody who's not his child. And we see that he shows great mercy. He draws the, the lost to him. He's trying to bring them to him so that he can minister to them and reach them. And so often they reject him. And But he says his merciful kindness. And those two words, interestingly, are the same word in Hebrew. It's mentioned twice. So it's his mercy, mercy toward us is great. Mine says faithfulness. I know, but in Hebrew it's the same word. Do you think that we miss uh, a lot like in the old days, they don't, they don't talk so we don't experience so much um, miracles. In our day, it's because we, we think we're so scientific that we try to explain away all miracles, and we tell say that there's no reality to them. You'll even see all the time people trying to explain away the miracles of the Bible. But miracles happen. We still have demonic possessions today as much as we or more than we ever had. But now our psychology will say it's psychological ailments and not demon possessions. Now I'm not saying every psychological ailment is a demon possession, but they write off a lot of demonic possessions as psychological events. But I think back then they did have, like I would say, in a way, because he, does Jesus came and he, he did, he made blind see. Well, for Jesus Day walking around, okay. there was a lot, but. Oh, yeah, yeah. But the apostles had all kinds of miracles happening around them. Uh, missionaries even today have miracles happening around them. Uh, in America, we see very few miracles. Why? Because when somebody needs to be healed, what's the first thing they do? They run off to a doctor. You know, they don't, they don't seek God first to get a miracle. They go in off to see a doctor or go to the drugstore and buy, buy some medication to, to heal them rather than trusting in God. Which is why missionaries, even in this day and age, will see many miracles because the doctor is is three days away. So, you don't—if you're really sick, you don't have time to go see a doctor. You you pray, and then you see God's mighty hand at work. And we tend to do this a lot with God. You know, relegating him to—you know—how many times have you maybe said it yourself, but you've probably heard it. You know, I've tried everything else. I might as well pray. And we tend to try to do everything on our own, and that goes the same thing for healing. I don't I don't need to go to God for healing because I'll just go get the aspirin out of there and my headache will disappear. I'll go get the the leave and my arthritic pain will go away. I'll take this pill and it'll cover my you know the, the symptoms of my whatever. Uh, if I get really sick, I'll go see a doctor and God heals through doctors and yes, I do believe God heals through doctors, but do we need to see a doctor every single time? I think we are shortchanging a lot of what God can do for us because of that, and we don't put a lot of trust in God that we should be putting into Him. Uh, when we watched the movie the other day, you know, God stopped the car from starting you know, on their trip three times because He had things that He wanted the pastor to do to minister to people. When it was time for them to get done, He started their car for them. And right, He's always trying to run because He didn't see that He was needed. And so he was always trying to run to the next where he wanted to be. And God's going, I want you here. I've got, I've got people for you to see. You know, the, the young man who had to defend, you know, that needed to run the defense for God. The, the girl that had been kicked out of her. You know, all these people he's having to meet and touch their lives in a divine way. And then when it was time to go ahead and start his vacation to be able to be there where the pastor, uh, where the professor was who had just been hit so he could get saved. You know, God had to keep him where he was supposed to be. But we need to be able to lift him up in more ways than we usually do and trust him more because we just tend to trust in our own. You know, our memory verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean on to your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Most of the time, especially in America and Europe, we don't put our trust in God first. We put our trust in science, doctors, money, whatever it might be, we put our trust in everything but God in most cases. And that's a sad state of affairs for the for the church. And that's why we don't see as many miracles. That's why we don't see God working, because we are not looking for God to work. We're, we're trusting in the physical side of things and, and the scientific side of things. And we it limits us in what we see. And... Um, but he says here, you know, his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the, of the Lord endures forever. And this, I love it, truth, certainty, firmness. God's truth endures. The, and this is the wonderful thing. Is the more we put our trust in God's word, his word will always, always, always stand up to examination and test. And it's kind of amazing, because when you talk to people about God's Word, they go, well, how can you trust that book that was created by man? Well, you know what? I know 100% that this book was not created by man. And the way that I know that it was not created by man is that there are no errors in it. And that's with 40 authors over 140 years on three continents with no errors in it. That is a miracle. You can't even take two books written by the same author over a period of time and not have errors and contradictions in their books. It's an amazing thing when you read the same professor, same teacher writing a book, and they'll contradict themselves in their books. And we have a book that's got 40 different authors, and people go, well, yeah, but man picked it. No, you don't understand. You cannot get two people to not contradict over that period of time. Well the odds of it happening are impossible. Yeah. It's con game too. Even if it was a con game, con games fall I mean, apart. I, mean, I use that word loosely. Yeah, but I mean just con any cons and lies fall apart because somebody forgets their part in the in what's going on. And the thing we know about the scriptures is also that every time they find an older version and they love finding older versions because okay, we're finally gonna find out how they rewrote everything and they find out that there's no rewriting of it. So it's an amazing, protected book by God. It's not a book created by man in any way, shape, or form. And so we see this wonderful book that God gives us that is His, that tells us all about how nothing has changed, nothing new under the sun. We read all the political intrigue in, in, uh, in Kings and Chronicles and even in Samuel. And we see all the political intrigue that still goes on in our world today. We see the evil of man all the way through that is exactly the same. We see all the sins that have, are still going on being presented in the scriptures. They just get presented in a different way now. And, you know, we look at how evil our world is, and it's not new. The evil in our world is not new. The pornography in our world is not new. In the Greek and Roman days, every time you walked down the streets, you saw all the pictures that, we, that you have to get on the book or the Internet nowadays, out in the open, on the statues, out in the public place to draw people in. It was all out in the open in real life, in real time. And the said that. Yeah, the people. <laughs> Literal yeah and the pornography was worse than it is today in many ways because of it was real and and we there's nothing new nothing that's happening today has not happened in the past all the religions that are supposedly new today are just rehashes of all the older religions and it's an amazing thing to see how god told us all this stuff long ago and people will go, how can you believe that old-fashioned book that has no, no relevance for today? And I'm going, have you even read the Bible? Or you get people that will go, I can't. how can you believe that book that has so many contradictions? And, and I shared with you, challenge them when they give you that. When they tell you there's contradictions in the Bible, have them show you a contradiction. And what you'll give them, well, there's lots of them show me one. Well, I know there's lots of them. How do you know? Well, someone, you know, such and such professor, such and such brilliant person said, no, you tell me one, because they aren't there. We need to get bold in our defense of God, for God, because they're not there. And they're going to get frustrated when you push them for, for even showing one, but you might push them into the Word of God to try to prove you wrong. And there's nothing better than to push them into the Word of God, Because if they start really reading the word of God, maybe God will get them convicted and changed. His truth is firm and it endures forever. And then he says, praise you the Lord. And we go back to the beginning, the boast in the Lord, make him shine, make him him be lifted up. And that's what our boasting in God is always supposed to be. Give God the glory, lift him up and raise him up into who he is. All right, that's Psalm 117. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> psalm 118 oh give thanks unto the lord for he is good because of his his mercy endures forever let israel now say that his mercy endures forever let the house of aaron now say his mercy endures forever let them that are in the fear of the lord say that his mercy endures forever i called upon the lord in distress and the lord answered me and set me in a large place the Lord is on my side, and I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord takes my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations compass me about, and in the name—but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compass me about. Yea, they compass me about. But the, in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compass me about like bees; they are quenched as the fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. You are thrust, you are thrust sore at me, that I might fall. But the Lord helped me; the Lord is my strength and song, and is become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacles of the righteous, and the right hand of the Lord deals valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me sore, but he has not given me over unto death. Open to me the gates of the righteous, and I will go into them, and I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter, I will praise you, for you have heard me and are become my salvation. The stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, send me, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, which has shown us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. You o, are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. All right. This beautiful psalm of praise and, and, and talking about it. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Give thanks. Confess him. Give, give thanks. Lent, you know, be Give him laud. You know, do we give God enough thanks for all the things he does in our life? You know, we think about that. I know that I don't oftentimes give him enough thanks, but he deserves. I mean, we get up in the morning. We should be thankful for that. We woke up another day. Now maybe we don't want to start another day, but you know, but he's given us another day to live. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. He's given us opportunities to share him amongst other people. I love the opportunities to tell people about Jesus, and we give thanks unto the Lord. Why? Because He is good, He gives us benefits, He gives us all that we have. God is good, and He t- is good with us, He's good for us all the time. That's what they said in the movie last That's a phrase that's been going on a long time. It's a phrase that, you know, God is good, and the other people say all the time, and all the time, God is good. And, you know, but it is, I mean, as funny as it can be, it is a very true statement that we need to really grab hold of. God is always good. When we think that he's not being good, we need to go back to step one and say, God is always good. uh, We just have to keep that in mind. And it's so easy sometimes to forget that God is good. And we need to always remember that. And it says, his mercy endures forever. And that goes back to this idea of that blessings that God gives us for who he is, his mercy endures forever. God's mercy continues. When we don't deserve it, his mercy continues. When we think we deserve it and we don't, his mercy (laughs) endures forever. And I love God's mercy, not giving us what we deserve. Because if he gave us what we deserve, we'd be in trouble because we'd be burning in hell already. Everybody listening, you'd be burning in hell already, and yet he gives us mercy. And in This psalm is all about his mercy Endurance forever Let Israel now say that his mercy endures forever So God's people Say that his mercy endures forever And they should know clearly how his mercy endures forever uh, They rejected him and they walked out of Egypt They rejected him in the wilderness They rejected the promised land They kept going after the, the foreign gods And God says I'm still going to be merciful Because I made an agreement with you Then he goes, Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endures forever. So he goes, Okay, priest, you tell me how merciful I am. And then it says, Let them that fear the Lord say, His mercy endures forever. So it starts out with Israel, goes to the priest, and then to anybody else who worships God. Fears God. And this word fear is one that kind of gets a lot of flack in people's life because they go, Well, we shouldn't be that fearful. Well, God wants that reverent fear. When people stand before a monarch, there was always that fear because they were going to make their petition and they hoped for mercy, but they were never sure that that's what they were going to get. That monarch could have sent them off to prison if they had wanted to. And we see that God wants us to fear him in a way that says, you are reverenced. I stand in awe of you because of who you are. In our day, a lot of people get too flippant with God. They kind of think of him, this is my best bread. <laughs> you know, and we want to be very careful about that. God has a good relationship with us. Jesus taught us to say our father. You know, that, and we're told later on that we could call him Abba, which is like daddy. But there should never get to the place where there is a forgetting of who he is, even in that relationship with him. The father is always a father in a family, even when you're calling him daddy or dad or what. he's still the father and has that respect and then and, and we sometimes forget that with God. Verse 5, I called upon the Lord in distress and the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. Now, this is kind of an interesting because there's a play going on here. I called on the Lord in distress and this talks about being pressed, tied together in a very tight place. And it says, and he places me in a large open place, a large expanse. One of the things that that I've thought about many years ago is we're told that the way to heaven is through a straight and narrow gate. But you know, when we go through that gate, it is the only way to heaven. But once you're through that gate, the freedom that we get after that opens up into a very wide expanse. The way to hell is wide. And if you've ever watched how they will round up cattle a lot of times is they'll run them up to a, a fence that goes, narrows down into a chute. That is what hell is. The way to hell starts out really wide and ends up at one destination, destruction. Just as they do when they round up the cattle and load them up in their trucks to take them to destruction at the butchers. Sometimes it's just to move them, but usually to take them to the, to the stockyards. But for us as Christians, we start out in a narrow way, and then God opens up freedom to us. Not to do whatever we want, but he opens up a freedom that says, I'm giving you life. Is it easier to go to hell or go to hell? Easier to go to hell. That's the destination you automatically have chosen if you reject Christ. The only, the only way to go to heaven is to accept Christ. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. So it's much easier to end up going to hell. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate that leads to, to God. And more people are going to choose hell than will choose heaven. Because you've got to think about this. It's real we choose jesus and we get freedom once we're on the other side because he's in control of everything he gives us the strength they choose themselves and all the pain and destruction that goes along with choosing yourself and it's kind of funny when you talk to people you witness to them and they go well i just think i'll enjoy my sin and 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 they've already told you that they don't enjoy their sin usually it's kind of funny talking you know well i got all these kind of problems i've got you know got issues um in the in the book yesterday for Way of the Master, you know, we were reading a little skit on it and this guy was stuck on alcohol and he's, you know, got, gotten speeding tickets and tickets for drinking under the influence and he, and he was complaining that while he was at court he got a ticket for parking in the red zone and, you know, he's, he's blaming everybody else, which is common for the world to blame other people for their problems and yet is really not interested in turning to God. You know, because then they'll turn around and say they enjoy their life. You know, they just griped and complained about every bit of their life and then they'll tell you how much they're enjoying their sin. It's kind of a strange dichotomy, you know. The lost world is really insane. (laughs) They really are. And I'm just hoping this will wake up everybody else because they know who they are. And I think that's so sad. But unless we present the gospel to them, they're never going to really wake up. Because as I said in various times, when you ask somebody, you ask them such a simple question, do you believe in heaven? Most people will say yes. How do you get there? They're going to say you have to be good. That's virtually what they're going to say. Are you a good, do you think you're a good person? Every single person is going to say yes. Even out at the prison, the guys will say, yes. They're good because they can think of people that are worse than them. And as long as we as humans can think that there's anybody anybody out there who's worse than me, I'm a good person. And God says, you're not a good person in his sight. And we need to be able to understand and we need to be able to express to people that God's requirement for entering heaven is perfection. And we all fail, which is why we need Jesus, because most people are going to stand at the white throne judgment, and their plan is to talk about how good they've been, and God's going to just ask them one simple question: What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with my Son? Because they're going to be clothed in filthy, rag- filthy rags, standing before God, saying, "Look at all these! Oh, look at all these ugly, ugly stuff on me." Now, these are my good. This is the good that I have done. Man, what, what would I look like if I had been wearing my sin? And he's going to say, "Depart from me. I never knew you." And this is a serious issue that we need to be able to get serious about ourselves to share with people. They need God because they cannot make it to heaven without God. And his mercy endures forever but god takes us out of our distress he puts us out in the open areas and holds us when we're in the distress so that we're not that we're being protected there as well verse 6 says the lord is on my side i will not fear what can man do unto me this is a promise that you probably need to memorize and understand I do not need to fear man because what can a person do to me? The best thing they can do do to me is kill me and send me home. The worst they can do is give me pain and I have to endure the pain, but God is still there to protect me and it's not gonna happen unless he allows it. Man cannot do anything that God does not allow because Satan cannot do anything that God does not allow. Ultimately, if God does not want me hurt, then I am in the safest place that I possibly can be because nothing will hurt me. Now, he will sometimes let me be hurt so that I can lift him up in the process. I have a friend that had uh, breast cancer, and he used it to praise God and and witness to everybody when he would would go in and get his IV treatments for his cancer uh, treatments. And he goes, yeah, I was there for three hours and the person next to me was there for three hours and we would have long conversations. And I got picturing Paul when he was, you know, chained to the centurions, you know. You're kind of stuck there. Where else are you going to go? The only thing they might have said, no, I don't want to be next to him next time they come in. I don't want to hear about God for three hours. (laughs) But you think about this. Nothing can happen to us that God does not allow. Man can do nothing to us that God is not going to allow. That does not mean bad things won't happen to us. It just means God allowed whatever happens. And this is a wonderful promise to us. You know, I don't need to fear anything because God's in control. He knows the beginning from the end. He knows exactly what's gonna happen. And He will make sure that it is all good. Verse 7, the Lord takes my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. This is the promise that God says, if people help you, God's there. And if, they're, if you're abused, God is your defense. It's just another way of saying God is my defense. He goes, I will see my desire upon them. And you've got to think about David. David was a very aggressive person. Uh, he wanted to see evil punished in very strong ways and he was very likely to punish people in and of himself. That was his personality. When Nabal refused to give him substance after he had been guarding Nabal's sheep and flocks and his his workers, he got his men ready and started to ride down upon Nabal. He was gonna wipe out Nabal and his entire family for his disrespect. And Abigail came out and, and pleaded with him not to, make an, you know, not to do this. Because he really had no right to do it. He was just going to do it. And he had very volatile anger. And he was ready to, to take out this whole family. And Abigail came out and saved her husband, who was named Nabal, which means fool. <laughs> and he had a name that matched who he was. He was a foolish man. And he, she protected him. And then when Nabal died, David took Abigail to be his wife. But God will defend us, and he will cause pain on those that hurt his children. God is an excellent father. He protects his children. Verse 8, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. This, especially the second part, is where a lot of people are in our day and age, how many people trust, put their trust in the government to provide for them? Most of the poor, almost all the retired, people that are sick, put a lot of trust in the government to pay their way. Now, I, when I use that, a lot of people, well, I paid into my, yeah, I know you did. You paid into Social Security, but you're still putting all your trust in those things of the world. and I'm not saying don't take advantage of things when they're available to you but where is your trust? Are you putting your confidence in God or are you putting your confidence in man? And it is easy to put our confidence in man. When we're in the working years we put our confidence in our company that our company is going to stay afloat and keep us employed so that I can have a paycheck. And we want to be very careful about that. Number one, we know that many companies go under. Companies have no loyalty to their employees. They'll fire an employee for any reason or no reason just to get rid of them a lot of times. And our trust needs to be in God. My hope is in God. My trust is in God. He is my keeper. He is my protector. And we want to be able to keep that understanding that he is who I want to follow. He is the one that I want to put all my trust. And that trust literally means to seek refuge in. My hope and my trust needs to be in God. Because he's the only one who's always going to do what's best for me. And this is what he said, and it's repeated twice in this. Verse 10 says, All nations compass about me, but I, in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compass me about. Yea, they compass me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They compass me about like bees, and they are quenched as the fire, fire of thorns. For in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. So in other, all our enemies, God will take care of them. And when it seems like we're being in totally circled and totally surrounded, God will take care of us. And, you know, I understand that oftentimes it looks like God is not taking care of us. God, how could you just let any, let this happen? How could you let this happen? How could you let this happen? God, have you totally lost it up there in heaven? Did you fall asleep on me? God has a plan, and he will take care of us. And I've been there many times where I'm going, God, I just don't understand. It doesn't seem like this is good, but you've promised it's going to be for good. And we need to always keep that in mind. Whatever God allows in our life is for good. And it goes back to the thing I put up about four years ago that I heard. God's plan for my life is what I would choose if I knew everything. If I knew what was going to happen 30 years from now, I would say, okay, God, this is the perfect thing to happen today. Even though it doesn't seem like the perfect thing to me today, somewhere down the road, it will be what I need to minister and complete my life. I need to just trust. I put all my, go back to the first part of that. I put all my confidence in God that he knows the best plan for me. And you know how much peace you have when you put your whole trust in God? I hear it from different people. They go, well, I, I just trusted God to do it. And I watched him fix whatever was going on. And it's wonderful just to be able to say, God, you're in control. I love watching God work. It's fun watching God work sometimes. Sometimes it's scary to watch God work as he comes and he does when David says, "They will, Lord, you will destroy them. Or, Through the Lord, I will destroy them. I have watched God destroy people for their sins and activities against God's people. And that's scary when you watch it because you feel, you know, God, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to go that far. And yet we'll see them get destroyed at times. Because God defends his people, sometimes harshly. Because he knows whether the people are going to repent or not. We never do know whether they're going to repent, but he does know. Verse 13, you have thrust sore at me that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. You have thrust me sore, and this literally means to violently shove. And it again. This is in in Hebrew. It reads, "You have violently shoved. You have violently shoved at me." That word that we see down thrust sore is the same word in Hebrew. So it's repeated again twice for emphasis. And you're being pushed. Have you ever been pushed by somebody or something just to, to the point where you're ready to fall? And it says, "But God helped me." Sometimes you look at it and say, "God, I need your help because they are really trying to push me to the breaking point they are trying to make me lose my witness in this situation by getting upset and falling flat on my face and and God is the one that will help us stand in the middle of those things if we turn to him if we're still hiding on him to be our defense then it says the Lord is my strength and song yeah. this is this is one where you know that there's a person who loves singing because they bring in song, but do you, have you ever just taken a moment in the middle of a very strong hardship and sung a song to God, picked up one of the new modern songs, an ancient hymn, uh, just a chorus, and focused yourself on God? David understood this. This is why when they built the temple the, the Levites had no real job to do once the tabernacle was not being moved around so that they became singers and ministers within the temple and there were songs playing and music playing in the in the temple 24-7 and they played the music for God and people would walk in and they'd hear the praise of God being sung and I don't know about you maybe it's cuz I grew up in a music family but I love to just at times sing a song to God God, just to refocus my mind upon him. If I don't have time for a song, I'll take some verses that I've memorized and start quoting the verses that I've memorized. But again, bringing myself to focus on God. And then I love the last part of that. And the Lord has become my salvation. We focus on God and he will save us out of the situation. He will rescue us. And that's literally what this word means. Rescue us. In the middle of our trial, he lifts us up out of that trial and puts us in a, takes us out. The voice of rejoicing in salvation is in the tabernacle of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does violently, uh, valiantly, not violently, <laughs> valiantly. Have you ever been where you've seen and been in the presence of somebody who is one of God's followers? I love being able to say, God, Show me some Christians and, and the righteousness shines out of their life. The righteousness shines in their home. Have you ever gone into a home and it is just a dead, destructive place? There's just no life there whatsoever. And you know that that person does not have a relationship with God. There's no, I mean, no life there. Then you go into somebody's house and they don't even have to say anything to you, but you know that God is in that house. Sometimes it's the pictures on the wall, but there's the Spirit of God that dwells within their dwelling because he is so part of it. He is endued into every part of their life, and you just know I'm in the presence of somebody who knows God. It is a wonderful thing when you experience it. And I've shared with you, I I would go to meetings, and I would go, God, I need some Christians because I don't want to be hanging around these drunkards over here that I know. And before long... I would be meeting up with Christians and we'd be talking about the Bible. We'd be talking about how, the things that God had done. And it is wonderful because in the tabernacles of the righteousness, there's salvation and rejoicing at the right and the right hand of the Lord does valiantly. And remember, we've talked about the right hand side of approval. So what is the right hand? mean? approval? Approval, the side of approval. God's approval is he does valiantly upon us. And I don't know if you've ever seen God defending you in mighty ways. I know many have said this, told me their testimonies of God defending them. And it's amazing when, you're, when you think everything's going wrong, and you just trust in God, and you watch him work out problems, especially when there are problems that have been constant problems, and you know that when you've gotten yourself involved, you messed up, and there's weeks of, weeks of problems. And when you just trust in God, and he is your defense, and all of a sudden everything just falls into place, and you're like, wow, how did all this happen? God is the defender. Verse 16, the right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. Do you declare the works of the Lord and let people know what God is doing in your life? I love, you know, like I said, I love even doing it now when I'm not backing on in a place where it's not a lot of Christians just saying, wow, God was so wonderful this week. You know, he did, he did this, he did that. And people will look at you so strange when you start giving credit to God for everything in your life, especially the lost world. They'll look at you like, are you insane? What are you talking about? God doing all this stuff for you. But it's a lot of fun. I like what I like watching how they look and how they respond. It's fun. You plant these little seeds of how powerful God is and watch the way that they react. You know? But God does not do anything that causes death. He brings life. Even if he takes our physical life, he brings us spiritual life in the process because we have heaven. But every time he comes in, his goal is to crucify more and more of the flesh. And when he's crucifying the flesh, it sure feels like he's trying to kill us sometimes. Sometimes. Because we don't like having our flesh crucified. Even as Christians, we don't like having our flesh crucified. And it's painful, and we react, and we fight against it. And God says, I've got a better plan for you. I've got a better plan for you. And then we get to declare his works. God's plan is good. And we need to keep that in mind. Verse 18 says, The Lord has chastened me sore, but he has not given me over unto death. Open unto me the gates of the righteous, and I will go into them, and I will praise the Lord, the gate of the, of the Lord, into which the righteous shall enter. Has God chastened you hard? Where you sometimes think that you probably should be dying, you're, you 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 don't like what's going on, but it always leads to life. It does not lead to death. And he will sometimes punish hard and discipline hard, but it is always for our betterment. Then it says, open to me the gates of the righteous, of righteousness, and I will go into them. Are you quick to go into the gates that God opens up? How many times do we sit down and go, God, I want to do things my way. (laughs) I've done it many times. God, I want to do it my way. Oh, the troubles of doing things our way leads. God, I want to defend myself. I want to to do this. I want to do that. And we try to defend ourselves and do things our way. And God is just saying, I wish you would do it my way. It would be a lot easier on you. We probably end up, if you've ever had kids, you've kind of seen the same thing. Kids, if you would just do it the, you know, I'm trying to help you. You don't have to go do it the hard way. And then we watch them do it the hard way anyway. And we have to go help them pick up the pieces. And you know it's like we do the same thing to God all the time. God, I want to do it my way. I think my way is really good, God. And it says the gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you for you have heard me and are become my salvation. You know the wonderful news is that God hears us. What a blessing, God hears us and he answers. He delivers. He shows us the answers. Sometimes he lets us go through some hard times because he knows that's what's good, but he's still there to hold our hand as we're going through the hardship. Now in the middle of the test, sometimes he'll say, do you really believe? And it'll look and seem like he's not there because we're in the middle of a test. And you know, as I said, you know, oftentimes one of my main jobs at the prison is to give out this test. And people go, well, what's the answer? I go, it's not a test of what I know. It's a test of what you know. And when God puts us in a test, he's just trying to say, what do you know about me? What do you know about me in the middle of this test? And it's a challenge for us just to show about his strength. Verse 22 should be one that you may remember from any different scriptures. The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is the marvelous in our eyes. And that phrase is used in Mark 12 by Jesus, verses 10 and 11. And Jesus said, I am the stone that was rejected by the builders. In Acts 4.11, we have them quote that Jesus is that cornerstone that was rejected. In 1 Peter 2.17, he says Jesus is the cornerstone that was rejected, the cornerstone. And this has two different meanings. It could be either the foundation stone where the building sits on, or it could literally be the capstone of an archway. Either way, it is fine, and it doesn't really matter because it's both the same thing. Without that capstone in the arch, the arch falls. And without the cornerstone that the whole building rests on, you don't have a building. So either way... It's a valid statement, so it's not a big deal to us. But Jesus is the stone that the builders re- have rejected, and it says, "This is the Lord's doing." You said seventeen and seven. Mm-hmm. You said First Peter two seventeen. Two seven. Yes, yeah, two seven. Okay. In verse. Verse 24, this is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That's a song that that I like to sing. This one comes out as a song. This is the day that God has made. One thing we need to remember is when we're having a really bad day, this is the the day that God has made. Rejoice in it. Be happy in it. The more we focus on God in the middle of our trials and problems, the more he's going to respond the more he's going to be center in our life and the more we're going to see him as we go forward. God is the one that we are to rejoice in. We're to lift him up. We're to triumph with him and be glad. And I understand it is hard sometimes to be glad when it seems like everything is going wrong. In Thessalonians we're toiled in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Not in some things, not in most things, but in everything, give thanks. That does not mean that when I'm in the middle of pain, I'm giving thanks for being in pain, but God, you've got a plan for this. I don't know what that plan is, but you've got a plan, and I'm going to say thank you for letting me go through this process. And then you can put your focus on God, and God will... It's a lot easier to see what God's doing when you put your focus on him. Blackaby says when you want to find out what God's doing and you want to know God's will in your all, look around and find out what God's doing. How often do we do something and say, God, this is what I'm doing. You come and bless it. We all do that sometimes frequently. And God does not come in and bless what we are doing necessarily. He says, uh, I'm over here doing this. You come over here. And God is not going to jump what he's doing and come over to where we're at. Give thanks. Rejoice and be glad in it. Verse 25, save now, I beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech you, send now prosperity. And prosperity, this word literally should read, bring to success. Bring to completion whatever it is that you're trying to do. And sometimes that success and that completion is not something that we want to go through. But the end is. God, bring this trial, these hardships, this hard time, bring it to success, bring it to completion. And let me see what it is that you're trying to show me from this. And we need to be able to understand. And I beseech you, I beg you, God. And in verse 25, it's, I beseech you, O Lord, O Lord, which is a repeated word. And then I beseech you is repeated. This one has lots of repetition in it. It's, it's a very interesting psalm when we think it. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Have you ever been a blessing to somebody because you come in the name of the Lord? You reach out to Him, you reach out to those around you and God touches their lives just because you're there. The sad thing is we may not know that we have touched somebody (laughs) because it can be something so small we were just kind to them. We were there when they needed help. We were able to be there to, to give them encouragement. We were able to be there with a, a set of jumper cables to start their car. We were able to help give them a ride someplace. No big deal, I was going there anyway, you know. and we don't even think twice about it. But to that person who needed the help at that moment, that was a big deal. You just said something kind to them and encouraged them. No big deal. It didn't take you long to say, hey, you know, God's got a good plan for you. And you walked off, and they just needed that moment to refocus on God. You encouraged them. You asked asked a simple question to them. You never know what it is that's going to encourage somebody and be able to touch them. And it says, we have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Because I am focused on God, I bring God into the situation. Sometimes it might just be the smile on your face that they see, and they go, I needed that smile. I needed to see that somebody in this world was happy. Especially if you're around people and nobody's smiling, nobody's happy. Everybody's depressed. Sometimes that happens in the work world. Everybody is wrong. Everything is wrong. Nothing's good. I need to see somebody who has a smile on their face that that you see the righteousness on. And sometimes just that smile is what it takes to go, okay, yes, God is doing something. Is it hard to find somebody... Like in a happy situation? I mean, do you, know you work in a place that's not exactly a happy place? Well, it depends. I mean, it's all attitude. Yeah. Our attitude yeah, toward. Yeah, oh, yeah, there's lots of prisoners that are. There's some. There, as strange as it might be, there are some prisoners that like prison. Well, it's just because they get three meals a day, they have medical, they have dental. They have somebody watching their. The guards are technically watching their back. They know that world, and it makes sense to them. Uh, talking to one of the guys the other day, you know, he's getting ready to get out, getting out, and he's planning what he's going to do to get back into prison <laughs> within a day of getting out, because he doesn't want to have to get a job and pay bills, and and it, he understands the prison world. He he is okay with the prison world. Uh, other people are just they're number of them are good people. Uh, One of the guys I was talking to this week, he was going, before I came here, I was only playing at being a Christian. He goes, I played at church. I played growing up in church. He goes, by coming here, I've learned that it's all a relationship with God. And he is generally a happy person because he sees how God used his experience for good. Are there a lot of bitter, angry people? Yes, there's lots of bitter, angry people as well. Everything about our life comes down to, what is our attitude? Do I have an attitude of thankfulness that God has got a plan? Or if I have an attitude of bitterness and anger about everything that goes on, and you can tell the difference when you meet people like that. People that have an attitude that God is in the center of everything, they will have that smile on their face. They will be generally happy. Those who just, the world is on my shoulders and nothing ever goes right, Everything could be going right, and they're going to make it go wrong because their attitude is bad. You know, the Eeyore attitude. The sun is shining, but it's going to rain tonight probably. It's really warm right now, but it's going to be cold very soon. They're always looking on the dark side of every bright bright thing that happens to them because their attitude is negative. And our attitude in Christ should be Not necessarily positive, but God is in charge of everything, which gives me a great attitude because nothing happens that he doesn't allow. I don't want to share with them that God has a plan with their life. That's not my purpose. My purpose is to give them the gospel of Christ. They're a lost sinner headed for hell and they need God. The worst message that we can give people is God has a plan for your life. He does have a plan for our life. But for a lost person that's irrelevant. We need to get them lost. I've said this even for years. Even before I started watching the way of the Master, I've said the very first thing you have to do is understand that you're a sinner headed for hell. Otherwise, you have no, the good news is not good news. No, the lost person has to understand that they are headed for hell. They're lost and headed for hell. Because there's nothing to get saved from if you don't understand that. Okay. I come in. You've got, you know, God's got a great plan for your life. You know, well, that's fine if you're a loser that has nothing going on in your life. But what if you seem to be the person who has everything? You've got the three car, you know, the, the 12 cars in your garage, and you've got the mansion, and you've got this, that, and the other thing. Why do I need something? You know, I've got everything. Now, you're headed to hell, but, you know, but you've got everything in this life. So we've got to get the idea that the message is there is a need for the Savior. Once I change my attitude, then it becomes different then I can say, God, you're blessing me. Then I can be with Paul and say, I have learned to be content with much and with little because my contentment isn't in what I've got. My contentment is in God. And if my contentment is in God, my attitude is all focused on God and not on anything else. Because if I, if I want to tell people, God's got a plan for your life, of course he's got a plan. He's got a plan for everybody's life. The people who are headed to hell, there's a plan for their life. It just means they're headed to hell. So there's a plan. He had a plan. He has a plan. Matter of fact, he's going to use them to bring judgment upon other people often because that's the type of person they are. He's going to use them. He uses Satan to com- complete his plan for people's lives. And Satan willingly goes along with God, God trying to do, you know, do this and go, you know, well, I'd like to go after Job. Well, go ahead and go after Job. We'll, we'll, we'll bring Job into a greater relationship with me by you going after him. And he brought Job into a greater relationship with him. and A stronger, more mature relationship with him than he had before. And that's how Satan is used by God frequently. He uses the wicked to to be able to drive us to God into a stronger relationship. He uses the wicked against the wicked to judge them. So we see it over and over. God has a plan. Not necessarily a good plan (laughs) for each person, but he has a plan for everybody. Let's see verse 6. Psalm 27. God is the Lord which has shown us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords even unto the horns of the altar. God shows us light. He is the way that we walk in. He is the light. His word is a light unto our path. He shows us the way to go, and he is the bright light. He is the first light. When he said, let there be light, it was him that shone out that light because there was no source other than God. He is the light of our life. He says, bind the sacrifice with cords even into the altar, horns of the altar. And I looked this up, and as far as people can tell, there's no proof that they ever bound the sacrifices to the altar by cords because they were supposed to have been killed at the tables and skinned before they got to the altar. But it's kind of an interesting thing that he's saying, you know, bind it. When you think of one thing, though, we're told that we are a living sacrifice presented before God in Romans 12, that we are a living sacrifice. We need to be bound to the altar ourselves because we want to get off. And the cords that he ties us with is his love and his, and his word. It says, you are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. How often do we spend time exalting God amongst other people? We need to be doing that. In our own lives, we praise and exalt him, and to other people, we praise him and exalt him. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever, which is the beginning verse that we started this psalm with. Give thanks to God for he is good and his mercy endures forever. This is such a strong, powerful praise. God is saying, exalt him. God expects us to exalt him. And you know what? The more we spend time exalting God, the better our attitude will be in everyday life. And we're going to end here. I made it through two psalms. (laughs) And one was fairly long. Uh, I guarantee we will not make it through the next psalm Next week, <laughs> or a week after, or a week after. Or a week. We will be on Psalm 119. I expect for about two month, two to three months. Uh, it's only only 150 verses in it, so. Uh, the longest one in the whole book. Yes. Well, why not? <laughs> so, all right. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love us and care for us. Lord, we ask that you help us to change our attitude if we need it to to worship and exalt you, to lift you up in all that goes on. Lord, help us to see that you are the center, that you are good all the time, and that everything you have for us is good, that you are trying to develop us for your life. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.